You guys can have a seat. As we do that, let's, um, let's pray before we start the message. Father, what a beautiful prayer in that song, how we need you every hour, every day, how we need you. But Father, how wonderful it is to know that you're not far from any of us. Your presence is with us if we call on your name, the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Now, God, open our hearts as we open your word and speak to us and let us leave here changed. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we get started, it's a little bit of confession time this morning. I'm not sure how many of you grew up in church. I know some of you did, but I grew up in church, and and here's the confession. Growing up in church, I remember thinking church people were just a bunch of weird, weird people. I grew up in a church, maybe yours was like this, where we placed an unnecessary, burdensome emphasis on the externals. I mean, the old Jewish Pharisees had absolutely nothing on us. We were just constantly inventing more and more rules, had nothing to do do with Scripture. There was always one guy who could show you a verse, but he was just misapplying it totally. But we just constantly were just trying to be good enough. We had all kinds of rules. Maybe you can relate to some of these. We had a rule that said it was a sin to dance. So we didn't dance. That's good for you that I grew up there because this is not something you want to see. We had a rule that said it's a sin to smoke or drink, but somehow you could carry on this lifetime love affair with the lunch buffet. That was fine, but you couldn't smoke or drink. Women, and I never understood this, women were not supposed to wear pants. They had to always wear dresses or skirts. Somehow Jesus was honored by that. And this one was absolutely crazy. This is a true story. I remember being 14 or 15, and we had a church picnic. And the picnic, the picnic site had a pool. So, of course, we had to have rules for the church picnic. I remember being 14 or 15 years old, and the first rule was that at the picnic, at the pool, there was to be no mixed bathing. And I thought, we even have rules about showers. Finally, my dad pulled me aside and said, no, no, mixed bathing means swimming. I thought, we even talk like we lived hundreds of years ago, right? I mean, church was just weird. And there was no way I was ever going to invite one of my friends to to be with that kind of group of people. But maybe the strangest thing growing up had to do with the church building itself. Do you remember if you were in church when we referred to kind of cue the angelic choir, we referred to church as God's house. Remember that? You guys, may, may, you know, maybe you called it God's house. And I always thought it was crazy that in some parts of town, God's house had stained glass windows. Maybe it even had a gym. But in other parts of town, God couldn't even afford a shack. I mean, it was just crazy. But because the church was God's house, there were certain things that you just couldn't do there. All kinds of rules. At our, at our God's house, you couldn't chew gum in God's house. You couldn't run in God's house. You couldn't eat or drink in God's house. It was always, Timmy, don't chase the pretty little girls in God's house. And there were things, maybe you remember this, there were things you could do in God's yard, but you could never do those things in God's house. And in our minds, because we were just kind of stuck with this terminology, we associated God with a building and a certain time and a place So that time and place and building became holy. And that was a really easy way to live because there were certain behaviors that you did in God's house. But then when you left God's house, 
you were free to do whatever you want. Maybe as long as you weren't within eyesight side of God's house because God could be peeking out from behind the curtains and catch you. Right? So, I mean, it was really easy growing up. You could have your church self, and then you could have your rest of the week or your real self. And listen, that's just terrible theology. But it all stems from the misunderstanding and the misusing of a single word. And many of us here in this room, we were raised like that. So the idea is that if we're not careful, the way we think and talk and act concerning kind of a word can just change the whole way that we move and kind of go forward. Now, a lot of these, and there's just a whole bunch of them, are harmless. Maybe they're kind of funny. But every once in a while, there's one word that because we use terminology so much and in the same way, that when we go to Scripture, we really interpret Scripture incorrectly because we come at it with these preconceived ideas that were really just way off base in the first place. So today, what I want to do, a little bit of time that we've got together, is I want to just unpack one of these words. One of these words that I think has kind of been hijacked by the church, I know that I still misuse this word from time to time, And by doing so, here's the problem. Here's what we need to talk about today. By misusing this word, I think we miss out on one of the great words, thoughts, ideas that God has ever given us. The word I want to talk about today is worship. And what we're going to do today is try to make this really simple. We're just going to say two main things about worship. And if you're a note taker, you'll want to write these two down. The first idea we want to kind of come around today is this. It's the idea that Everyone was created to worship. Worship is not just what Christians do. Worship is what people do. There's a passage of Scripture that I absolutely love. It's in Acts 17. You brought your Bibles. That's where we're going to kind of camp out this morning. But I love this passage because it's not a passage that's so much for the churchgoers. But more than that, it's just kind of this broad sweep that embraces all of humanity. And what Paul does here, the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, is he begins to lay out this underlying reality that everyone on the planet worships. And, this, and listen, this is so important because we need to walk away today knowing that we are worshipers. Whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, you are a worshiper. I am a worshiper. You, you need to leave here knowing that worship is not something you do necessarily, but it's who you are. You were created, every single one of us in this room, outside these walls, God created as a worshiper. But you see, in our modern day discussion of worship, I think we get off really, we get off track really fast into what kind of church do you go to. And somebody starts to talk about their church. And they say, oh, it's fantastic. It's just, it's so quiet. It's so reverent. The language we use, maybe Shakespeare used that language. The songs we sing, oh, there's such great heritage. I think my dad sang those songs. His dad sang those songs. In fact, I think even Jesus sang these songs, right? And I mean, the music is just so good. And maybe you're there kind of leaning into the conversation. You're like, oh, man, our music is just fantastic. I mean, we go to Living Church, and we got a band. Our band even has a CD. They had a concert It is just fantastic, and it is. I mean, we have fantastic worship here, and we say, you know, Living Church, it's so great. The music is so good. People, you know, people raise their hands. It's so loud. Sometimes we think, you know, if God's up in his heaven maybe taking a nap, he's still going to hear us because we're just going for it, right? But listen, that's just a part of our worship. Worship is just really so much bigger than that. 
And I think we need to understand, because we use the word worship for so long to mean just our time at a church building, and we think, you know, I've gone to worship. I went to a worship service. The worship pastor led us in songs. And because I went somewhere and I went to worship, I can check off the worship box And maybe I'll come back next time, but at least for now, I have gone to worship. I've done worship. You see, we need to open up our view of worship so that it's not just simply defined as going somewhere, as going to church, as listening to a worship song, but that worship is this. Worship is really how we respond to whatever it is in life that we value most. You could define worship a number of different ways, but this is a really simple one. I'm sure people have defined it better, but here's the definition that I want to use today. It's this. Worship is our response to what we value most. Louis Giglio, in his excellent book, The Air I Breathe, if you're going to talk about worship, you've got to quote Louis. Louis said this. He said, worship is about saying this person, this thing, this experience, this whatever is what matters most to me. It's the thing of highest value in my life. And that thing for you and for me, it might be a relationship. could be a job. could be a position. Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's some kind of pleasure. However you categorize it, it is whatever you've concluded in your heart is what is worth most to you. And whatever is worth most to you, man, that's the thing you're going to worship. You see, we all worship. And it's pretty easy to tell what or who somebody worships. You just spend a little bit of time with them and you're gonna know real quick because all of us worship something and we can't hide it. And we're not just talking about the religious or about Christians or about churchgoers. We're talking about everybody on planet Earth, a multitude of souls proclaiming with their last, their every breath, what is most important to them, what they value more than, any, more than anything else. Because you see, as long as we've been here on planet Earth, there have always been worshipers, uh, worshipers and always been objects of worship. Go back to any civilization, dig it up, read whatever they wrote, and you're always going to find idols of worship, places of worship. People have been doing the thing they've been created to do. God made us as worshipers, and we're great at it. Apostle Paul found this out. We're in Acts 17, and he's visiting the city of Athens, And Athens, Greece, is a place that is a very open-minded, cosmopolitan, progressive kind of city. And when Paul comes to town, the first thing he notices is that he's in a town of great worshipers. He discovers that these Greeks have all these idols everywhere. Basically, they've got all their bases covered. They've got all these different idols all over the place. No matter what you want to worship, do you need help with fertility? Boom, it's there. You want help with war or peace or love or your family? They've got a God for that. But Paul notices as he looks down all of their gods, at the end of the row of all these idols, there's a God to an unknown God. It was basically the the Athenians at that time saying, we've just got this whole great long list of gods here, but we know in our heart of hearts, we just haven't found it all yet. We know there's just something missing. And maybe, maybe in their idol to an unknown God, they were already preaching the sermon saying, we're worshipers. You can see all of our idols, but there's something not right about our worship. There's got to be something more. So Paul comes on the scene, and of course, he's going to masterfully take advantage of this. He begins to discuss with the chief philosophers of his time about this unknown God that's there at the end of the row. 
It's beautiful how Paul does this. Look over at Acts 17. We'll be in verses 22 to 28. Here's how Paul's time with them plays out. It says, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. He says, men of Athens, I noticed that you were very religious. For as I was walking along, I saw your many altars. Or as one version says, maybe your version says, your objects of worship. And notice these people are not Christians. They didn't go to church, but they were serious worshipers. Paul goes on and says, and one of them had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. And Paul's ready to take full advantage of this moment. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. Look at what he does. He says, you have been worshiping him without knowing who he is. And now I wish to tell you about him. Here's your God. He said, he's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need there is. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand which should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. Why did he do this? Paul says his purpose in all of this was that the nation should seek after God and perhaps feel their, way, feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Isn't that just the most beautiful summation of humanity? I mean, the Apostle Paul just kind of walks into town and says, I noticed down there at the end of the row that you have an idol to an unknown God. Could you give me just two, three minutes and let me tell you about him? Paul says, he's the God who created the world. He's the God who's given life and breath to every creature and to every person. And he's put us on earth in our various times and places, and he's made us all with this inner desire for something more. He's put this inner desire within us to search for and to reach out for something bigger than ourselves. The literal translation of that part of the verse that says, feel their their way toward him, it's kind of crude. What Paul's really saying there is he's saying this picture he's painting is of us groping for God. Something inside of us that would just cause us to feel our way, maybe even blindly at times, reaching out, realize there has to be something more than these idols that we've placed in our lives. And Paul says people are going through life, feeling their way, finding their way along, looking for something to fill that void, taking whatever is before them. And Paul says there's something more. Let me tell you about that God. You see, there's this groping in our hearts and in our souls by creation. It's the creative imprint of God that he places within us to reach out for him, to look for him, and find that thing we've been missing. So people, for all time, all over the planet, have been on this groping quest for God. And in this quest of trying to find God, there are a lot of idols in people's lives. And I think if we're just to be be completely honest, we'd say, you know, I've known there's something out there. I've known there's something more, and I just haven't found it all yet. And I think it would be really bad in this passage if Paul would show us a God who says, yeah, there is something more, but good luck finding it. Yeah, I am out there, but good luck. Not not really going to kind of help you. Not going to kind of be there. I think it would be really unfair if God said that, but Paul paints this picture of a God who says, I'm already close to you. 
I'm not that far away from you. I've already made a way for you to be in relationship with me. And if you just kind of reach out with one time with all your heart, I'm right here. I'll take your heart in hand. You see, at the end of the day, the activity of the human soul is to find something of value and worship it. And we are all great worshipers. So our focus today is not to talk two or three reasons how we can become better worshipers. We've already got that town. The focus today is not that the quality of our worship would improve, but that the object of our worship would improve. That's what Paul's issue was in Athens. People all over the planet, the Athenians, and even today, have been worshipers. There's so many examples of this. I wanted to show you one. I want you to take a look at a video we're going to show here. And it's a video that the aspect is, it's a little grainy, but I think it shows a great picture of worship. Check this out. That's just such an amazing picture, isn't it? I mean, it's really not so much about Michael Jackson, but it's all about the human heart. We could have chosen any kind of idol. We, we, we could have easily done that. And as I watch that, it's amazingly encouraging to me. It is. But it's amazingly discouraging at the same time. And what's encouraging about that video is that it is a great picture of what we were made to be. I'm not sure what you thought about the video, but the summary of that video is this. That was some great worship. You might say, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, it was. That was fantastic worshiper um, worship. The psalmist would have been so happy with that clip. The psalmist who said, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Make a joyful noise. He just said, they're getting it. They're doing it. It's clap your hand. Trees of the field, clap your hands and bow down. We just want to stand in all of you. It's all there. All those just great expressions of worship that we're called to give the one true living God. And it's all there because it's already in the hearts of men. We were created in the image of God and we're groping for and looking for and longing for something bigger, something greater, something better than ourselves. And we placed all these counterfeits in the row, all these counterfeits that we just want to seek out. We want to search for something bigger. You see, it's encouraging because it shows it can be done. We can really worship God with our whole heart. But the discouraging part of watching that video is why him? I mean, such a little bitty, tiny God. Yeah, he could moonwalk, but I mean, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, just one of the thousands of idols across the board, and yet it seems as though, and this is difficult because it's impossible to judge the human heart, it seemed as though the people in that video were far more moved by their little tiny God than sometimes the church is by her great, great, big God. And I didn't see anybody in that video saying, look at that guy. Check that guy out. He must be charismatic or something. I mean, he's raising his hands. He didn't say any of that. You see, what was so great about that clip is that those people, they were having a heartfelt moment with their God. And they didn't care that other people could see him. They didn't care that there were cameras there. They didn't care. They didn't know that 25, 30 years later, we'd be sitting in a room kind of examining what they did. They didn't care. It just seemed like everyone was kind of in their own place, having a heartfelt moment with their God. It was just them and him, and they didn't care. They just wanted a speckled glove wave. That's all they wanted. They just wanted to be alone with their God. It's because we're worshipers. 
And it happens all over. It happens in arenas and in malls and in homes and in churches and in office buildings. It happens all over, every day, everywhere across the planet because worship is all about declaring what is important to me. And we are created to worship and we're great at it. Second thing, I want to leave you with this. this. The last point this morning is this. Our worship is shown best by how we live. We don't say what we worship as much as we show what we worship. Our worship isn't determined by our words as much as it is by our actions. And because we're all here today in a church service, most of us would probably want to say this. I don't worship anything but God. God is the one or is the, one, is, is the person, the one that I worship. And I want to say the same thing. But here's the deal. In all of our lives, kind of follow this, kind of follow this analogy, there's a trail in all of our lives. A trail of our time, of our attention, of our affection, of our investments. There's a pretty obvious trail in my life. There's a pretty obvious trail in your life too. And when you follow that trail, kind of marked out by the breadcrumbs of what is most important to you, that trail leads to a throne. And seated on that throne is the person or the thing that you worship. And who knows? If you follow the trail in your own life back to your throne, you might be surprised to find that you are seated on the throne. You worship you. I stand, I stand in awe of me, right? I mean, you, I'll never say again, don't worry. You need some songs all about you. If Dave could just write a great you song, that would be great because you are on your throne. I mean, the whole time you thought you were worshiping God, right? I mean, you go to living communities, you go to gatherings, you've got the living worship CD kind of playing in your car. You give a little, you serve a little. You thought you were worshiping God. But as you follow the trail back in your life and you follow the time and the energy, the investments, all those things, you find all of that stuff and it leads back to a throne and it becomes crystal clear that, yep, you're a great worshiper, but you worship yourself. And you can't even moonwalk, Right? I mean, maybe it's not you. It could be your job sitting there. It could be a possession. It might be a relationship. It could be a position. It could be whatever it is. But the way we know where our affections and our heart lie is not by listening to ourselves talk about it. It's by watching how we live. Jesus said the same thing. This is how Jesus said it. In Matthew 6, 21, he said quite simply, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think you can invert it to say, hey, if you want to find my heart, you just look at what I treasure. I like how the message treats that same passage. Here's how the message says it. I think this kind of really makes it crystal clear. It says, it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. In other words, just look at my life. Just look at where I'm going, and after just a little bit of time with me, you're going to be able to find out who it is or what it is that I treasure more than anything else. And because I treasure it, I am an amazing worshiper of it. I'll do whatever it takes for it. I'll focus on it. I'll sacrifice for it. I'll give for it. Whatever that thing is, whoever that person is, I'll sacrifice it all because I'm an amazing, amazing worshiper. And some of us in this room, we follow the trail, and it's exciting because we see on the throne that God is right where he should be, 
that God is the one we worship. And it's not an arrogant thing because we know at any moment we can kind of usurp our king from his throne. But we finally found him. And that void that's inside of us has been filled by the one who created us in the first place. But for some of us, we're still groping. We're still searching. We're still reaching out. And the fact is, this morning as we sit here, we still haven't found what we're looking for. And if that's you, the good news of what Paul had to tell the people in Athens is the same good news that's here for you today. God's not far away. He's right next to you. Just reach out with all your heart just one time and grab him, and he'll take hold of you and never let you go. Last thought this morning I want to leave you on worship is this. It's just a simple prayer. It's God, you created me as an amazing worshiper. Help me to always worship you. Let's pray. Father, you're good. You have made us to to love you, to worship you, to serve you. And you've made it so easy. You've sent Christ. You've made a way for us where there was no way. You did what we couldn't do for ourselves. So, Father, we thank you. God, it's so easy to get, to get consumed with the day-to-day, with, with, with our money or our jobs, our health, our family, whatever it is. And all those things are important. But, God, just help us put them in perspective. Help us to keep you on, on, the, on the throne and just trust you with the things that get in the way. Trust you with the things that, that are important in and of themselves. God, they're important, but they pale in comparison to you. And if you took care of our sin problem, our relationship with you problem, God, we just trust you to take care of the rest. Help us to open up and to freely worship you with every thought, with every action. Help us just to give you, Father, all that you've already put within us. We just give back to you. We can't give you anything you haven't already given us. Help us worship you in Christ's name. Amen.